So, there's so much history and, and realities in Montgomery. How do, you, how do you tell the stories? How do you structure the narrative so that we can make sense of it? So, in 1961, the Freedom Riders arrived here in town after having their bus burned in Anniston. And they were, Corps, which was leading these Freedom Rides, um, said, we're done. We, we, we had, we've had incredible strides, but we're done with this. And the national nonviolence leadership said, we cannot let the movement stop because of violence against us. And so Diane Nash and Bernard Lafayette and John Lewis and James Bevel and C.T. Vivian and James Lawson, they all said, we're coming, we're going, we're going to go down there. And they went down to Birmingham um, and got stopped there, got turned around Bull Connor, drove them back to the state line. And Catherine Burke said, we'll see you tonight. After Bull Connor said, don't come back. And we're like, we'll see you tonight. Okay. And then they uh, spent the night in the, uh, in the bus station there in Birmingham with the KKK walking around them and kicking them awake. Um, because one thing uh, Meredith made a reference to that in Tuscaloosa became the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan. Robert Shelton, the Grand Dragon, was based in Tuscaloosa for a number of years. Okay, so they were in this area. In 1961, after being stopped in Birmingham, though, they came down to Montgomery because we're south of Birmingham. And they got beat right over here, tremendously so. And one of the people that was the key figure in that is this gentleman right here, Bernard Lafayette. And Bernard is everywhere in the movement. He's the one who goes into Selma three years before the Selma marches happen and do the, advi the, uh, the, the organizing. And so when we get to Selma, they'll be all, they'll be, Bernard will be the, the, the hero, the icon when we get there. So they came here, and so where to put Bernard in the story? Um, Bernard is really busy with the Selma marches this week, so he he's only able to give us a little bit of time. So we said, let's do it at the Freedom Riders and, uh, Museum and have you talk a little bit about your history and about the story here. And I would ask you, Bernard, to, we want to know the whole history here. Please don't gloss over the violence. Please don't skip that. That's what we need to know about. And so, but you are a mentor to me. You are like a father, Bernard. And Kate, you're like a mother. You two are the wonderfulest people. And let's give these two a round of applause, right? I asked Bernard to talk to us, and I asked Bernard three things he's learned. He knows for sure. So, Bernard, thank you. Thank you, my brother. Well, I'm excited to see you. And uh, when Martin Luther King says he had a dream, uh, I understood uh, very clearly what he was talking about, and I understand it even more today as we stand here. This is my dream that we have more people who get excited about the struggle, and particularly the nonviolent uh, philosophy and uh, the nonviolent uh, uh, method methodology and how we can really bring about change, not only uh, in uh, the South and, all, and in social uh, change situations, but in economics, okay, political change, uh, the world we live in. And my greatest hope is that you will continue to help change the world because this can work. So that's the first lesson. This can work. You have to believe that it can work before you work it. I was in, uh, what, uh, Jerusalem? No, it was Bethlehem. And there was a lady who uh, 
family owned the hotel where we were staying. She was from New York, and she was on this trip uh, with us as we were touring uh, the Holy Land. And she said to me, uh, could you come and talk to my cousin? Her cousin was a woman on the city council in Birmingham, uh, Birmingham, uh, Middle East. And she said, uh, uh, that's the Birmingham. It's actually Bethlehem. <laughs> but it's the Birmingham of the Middle East. Okay. So she said, my cousin doesn't uh, believe that nonviolence can work. I said, could you come and talk to her? And I said, uh, and I was trying to finish my lunch. <laughs> and so I had to give a quick, you know, response. So I said, uh, I agree with your cousin. Nonviolence can't work. And she was so ch chagrined and set back because she was ready for me to give a, you know, convincing argument. I said, nonviolence can't work. It's only a concept. It's a philosophy, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a way of life. But the only way it can work is you have to work it. Hmm. It's like an airplane, okay? I have all the, you know, right technology, you know, and engineering and all that. But an airplane can't fly <laughs> unless you have a pilot who can fly it. So the question is not whether it can work, it's whether you can work it. So the first lesson is uh, you have to be convinced that you can work it. And this is what we decided to do in Nashville when the freedom rides were stopped because of the violence. The people were beaten in Birmingham, pulled off the bus and arrested. As uh, David was saying, but when we organized to continue the Freedom Rides, we wanted to take up the Freedom Rides where they stopped. And that was in Birmingham and also in Anniston, Alabama. But since Birmingham was further south, headed towards uh, Louisiana, we thought we'd stop, we'd pick up the ride at the furthest point the Freedom Ride had gone. And that's why we came to uh, Birmingham. The Freedom Rides, after the bus was burned and people were beaten in Birmingham, so there were two different groups. When we say the Freedom Rides, there were actually two groups, the core, Trailways and Greyhound. Greyhound went to Anniston. Trailways went to uh, Birmingham. They were simply beaten and arrested in uh, Birmingham. And because uh, they had some severe beatings, you know, there in Birmingham. And then, of course, they burned the bus. So when we decided to continue, the reason this happened, by the way, I should explain, because it was not fully explained in the film. Uh, Patterson, okay, had promised to give protection to the Freedom Riders. Yeah. Then he let them down. This is in Alabama, right? Okay. All right. Then um, he did not fulfill his uh, promise, and that's why they didn't, uh, you know, 
uh, come through with Givens Protection. So when those of us in Nashville heard that they had stopped and they had a cooling off period, because they were going to try to negotiate John Sigenthaler, who we knew from uh, Nashville, he was working with the uh, Attorney General's office trying to get things, you know, agreed upon, just trying to get them to New Orleans. And didn't work. Those of us in Nashville decided that, so they did end their freedom rides by going, as you saw in the movie, flying, okay, to uh, New Orleans. They even had some difficulty there, you know, the bomb threat on the plane and all that kind of stuff. We finally got there. <laughs> We decided that no, you could never allow uh, violence to stop a nonviolent movement. Mm -hmm. And we were trained in the philosophy of nonviolence rather than the tactics and the methods. Of course, most of you know Gene Sharp wrote a book on, you know, over 100 and some different nonviolent tactics. 90. Yeah, 190. 98, okay, <laughs> 198, all right. So those are good tactics to use, but if, you in, if you're imbued with the uh, philosophy, then you become creative. You may use some of those tactics, but you may you know, even come up with some new ones, okay, based on the response. So as we uh, um, observed the Freedom Rider, and John Lewis was on the original ride. So the question is, why wasn't John Lewis on the burning bus, and why was he not in Birmingham? Well, John Lewis had temporarily gotten off the ride and had gone to Philadelphia for an interview to go to the VISTA program, which is uh, part of the uh, VISTA program. It was part of the American Friends Service Committee it was going abroad, and that was the time they had his interview, so he temporarily got off. And James Farmer was not on that ride, either bus, because his uh, father died. And so even though he was on the original ride out of Washington, they were not there, okay? In fact, Jim Peck was the one that they had assigned to continue leading the uh, Freedom Rides, and he was on the bus in Birmingham. <coughs> Fifty stitches in his head. And this was, by the way, a very wealthy person, like Peck and Peck out of New York, Jim Peck. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So you had movie stars on the ride as well, okay? So um, when that uh, stopped, we said, okay, we must launch this ride and continue it while the iron is hot. Because if you let a cooling off period last too long, you'll be in the freezer, deep freezer, okay? The other thing, from a tactical point of view, we decided that we had to go immediately. That's why we dropped out of school in the midst of our exams. Because we wanted to show the way for other college students when they got out of school, they would follow us, okay? Yeah. So those you saw who came out of the Nashville group, which is along here, Okay, it says Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Those they missed a couple of us, but uh, most of us, you know, uh, were from the Nashville group, and they had me from Florida because they 
But that was like, well, they said, where you from? You know what I mean? <laughs> and that kind of thing. So, <laughs> but uh, we divided into two groups, just in case if one group did not survive. We also made out our wills because we realized that they had serious intent on. If someone sets a bus on fire and holds the door, I think they intend to roast the people. Okay, and that uh, there was one person who had some smarts because they said, where's the gas tank, you know? And they said, well, that fire is about close, so we better turn this door loose because this bus is going to explode. So they were saving themselves. And that's why the, the, that's why the Freedom Riders were saved. They all would have been blown apart. So we decided that uh, since that was a possibility, we would divide ourselves in two groups. John Lewis led the first group, okay? And they went down to uh, Birmingham. I was in charge of the second group. You saw in the film where I said, it doesn't matter what happened to the first group, whatever happens to them, you know, I'm gonna bring the second group. Sure enough, when they got arrested down there, we launched our second group. But even in our second group, we divided into two groups. And we did not want to get arrested before we got to Birmingham. Therefore, we did not catch a bus going to Birmingham. We went by train and we went by car. And they would rendezvous. So you still had two different groups, just in case if one group didn't survive. Okay, so technically you had three groups coming out of the initial group in Nashville. So we rendezvoused in Birmingham, and they were bus drivers in this case would not drive the bus. Okay, so they were afraid because they, you know, they burn buses and that kind of business and wreck. You know, you can't. The driver gets it too, and all the other passengers, because we weren't the only ones on the bus. You know, okay, there were passengers. Well, one I remember one bus driver said, uh, "How many of y'all from the NWACP?" <laughs> National White People's Organization. <laughs> uh, no, nobody said anything. So, uh, is there how many y'all from Coe? That's supposed to be Congress of Racial Equality. Coe. No Coe people. All right. He said, I got one life to live or to give. I'm not going to give it to the NWACP or Colt. So he took his uh, change uh, thing and got off the bus. So that's what it was. Every time a bus would come up to the uh, bus station and it was headed to Montgomery, we'd go line up. We'd there all night. And as uh, David was saying, the Ku Klux Klan, that's when I first met uh, the grand. He was the imperial wizard. Uh, first, that's when we met him. Okay, Imperial Wizard. He had a he had a black robe on. In fact, he was a white Baptist preacher. Yeah, Robert Shelton. And he had this huge serpent on his back. Everybody was excited about his robe. You know what I mean? Yeah, because his robe was so you know dramatic and colorful. And I remember him very well. And they went around. They when we were trying to sleep, they stomped our feet stepped on our feet, and then they got cold water and threw at us, you know, with ice on our faces. 
And of course, my response was, oh, thank you, thank you. Because <laughs> it had been a good idea for us to stay awake so we could watch him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're not off there, you know. <laughs> yeah, you can't see what's happening. So we, I remember when we went to the restroom, you know, we all would go at the same time, so we would block the door so nobody would come in. Okay, we had all kind of little tactics we put on the spur of the moment. But anyway, the next morning, the, uh, a reporter came to us and said, um, they have a bus for you. Yeah, they finally got a bus, they agreed on, and they're going to take you all the way to New Orleans, nonstop since our destination was New Orleans. So we huddled real fast, said we don't want to go all the way to New Orleans, we want to stop in, you know, Montgomery and stop in, you know, then, then go to, uh, you know, go to Jackson and then go into uh, New Orleans. Those people were waiting for us. John Lewis had to book, because he was on the original ride, so he had the contacts for the people, okay, and where were we supposed to be, what churches we were going to, be for the mass meetings and stuff, okay? Now, let me stop and because the film doesn't say this. It doesn't make any sense to change the law if people don't uh, change their behavior. Like desegregating schools. They had the, the 1955 Supreme Court decision, okay, provided a methodology for changing your schools desegregating your schools. The 54 Supreme Court decision say the concept of segregation is not valid if it's, you know, separate but equal, okay? Yeah, no, that's no longer a valid concept. That's all the Supreme Court decision of 54 did. It was 55, okay, that uh, gave us a methodology. I mean, you had to get a petition together with 10 names and go to the school board if they ignored you then you could uh, appeal to the court, all right? And that's the legal process, because it'd be dependent on the NAACP to do all the fighting in the courts. And up to that point, that's basically the way decisions were made. And the civil rights fight meant that you had to become a lawyer so you could uh, argue in court. So even if you're arrested in the first court of law, they build a case as if they're going to the Supreme Court. <laughs> that's why they were such good lawyers, okay? And a lot of them went to Harvard University, okay, mm -hmm. which was the constitutional law school, so to speak, with Thurgood Marshall and Nabrit and others. Well, the Freedom Ride's purpose was to stimulate and sort of give a shot in the arm to some of these other cities where movements had taken place, okay, and where there was a possibility of people standing up and doing things, okay? And uh, so the... Um, we didn't want to go all the way to New Orleans. What would that prove? Okay. We wanted to reach those other communities. So guess what we did? We had interstate tickets. In other words, they had you could put, take off layers as you go through from one bus station or one state to another. And the, one, the, the tickets for intrastate travel, you had one ticket because you were just going to go from one city to another in the same state. So we went back and Shuttlesworth was the one that bought us one-way tickets from Birmingham to Montgomery. So we got on this bus that they had planned for us and we presented one-way tickets. Ah! <laughs> they weren't ready for that. 
Yeah, this is a nonstop bus, okay? But they, if they had taken us any further than our ticket said, you know, to Montgomery, that would have been kidnapped. Because we only paid, you know, for one way. So they had to regroup, and they got the National Guard, and they got all those people. Because they were trying to get us out of the state. That's the whole purpose of get, uh, agreeing on this bus. Get us out of Alabama, because it wasn't, you know. They had to regroup. They had to contact the governor of Mississippi, okay, Ross Barnett. They had to negotiate. And uh, Sigenthal was all involved in that. And the governor, oddly enough, said that if they come through Mississippi, they're not going to have any trouble at the bus station, okay? We will arrest them. If they come into the white side of the bus station, we will simply arrest them. We won't have any mobs meeting them and that sort of thing. Well, Mississippi is a police state. They're in charge. So if they say, okay, so it's not just a loose kind of thing like in Alabama. You got a lot of groups that on their own just go and do things, okay? Mississippi is rigid. Like most of the people who were shot and killed in Mississippi were shot and killed by law enforcement and elected officials. Medgar Evers, okay. Byron and Beckwith, Randolph Hearst, okay. And... Uh, down in uh, where, uh, Liberty, Mississippi, you know, kill people. Three civil rights workers in Philadelphia, you know, uh, Rainey, the sheriff. So my point is, if the governor says there will be no violence, no, there wasn't any. We went to the bus station, okay? <laughs> the unfortunate thing they didn't do, okay, was change the bus because it didn't have a restroom, okay? That created a serious problem, all right, but we managed that. Uh, the point is that when we arrived in Mississippi, there was a changing of the guard, and that was from uh, the Alabama National Guard to the Mississippi National Guard. And there was one thing, and I was looking for it here on this map, and I didn't see it. The bus was going down Highway 80 from Montgomery to uh, Jackson, Mississippi. That was after we left uh, Montgomery. Uh, if you want to ask specific questions about Montgomery, I'll, I'll uh, answer them, okay? But, you know, a lot of information is already out about the mob meeting us and beating up the reporters and that kind of thing, et cetera, because they went ahead of us when they found out we were going to uh, Montgomery a busload of reporters, you know, they organized themselves and they went ahead so they can film everything of, you know, when we were coming off the bus. Well, um... Bernard, would you say what happened when you got off the bus immediately? I mean, oh. you did last time and I, it wasn't part of the movie. Okay. It was really All right. powerful for us. Okay, well, um, when we arrived in, uh, uh, we got on the bus here, uh, there in uh, Montgomery. Uh, what is it? Bir the Birmingham, rather. Yeah. And this is the bus station we came to. Um, we realized that 
as we got closer to uh, Montgomery, it was a Saturday morning, and that all of the uh, helicopters and the state troopers who had the highways uh, completely covered, protecting us, you know, all the way, suddenly start fading off, okay? Different exits and stuff. As we got closer to the bus station, there was only one motorcycle uh, policeman in front of the bus Saturday morning. And we realized that uh, it was Vanna Erie. So I stood up and I s suspect that we were going to run into some difficulty. So those who had seatmates, I said, we want everyone to choose a partner. Could be a roommate, uh, could be your uh, seatmate, okay, classmate, whatever. But choose a partner, somebody that's going to be with you. So you won't be alone. Somebody who can, you know, that if whatever happens to you, you'll have a companion. Okay? But even if you didn't survive, somebody would be able to say what happened. So as I was standing up giving instructions, the National Guard uh, person, I can't think of his name now, who was uh, in charge of the troops, he was right in front of the bus, he said, sit down. He told me to sit down. I was a little skinny fellow, as you can tell. <laughs> so uh, I, I do that kind of thing sometimes. I caught him off guard because I pretended I was going to sit down, and he relaxed. Then I stood up again. Okay. So he thought he'd accomplish his goal. Sometimes nonviolence helped people to, you know, put people in a certain position so they'd be more receptive because it's unusual behavior. If you tell somebody to sit down, and then they get back up. I mean, you know, like if they never sit down, then you, okay, you're in a stronger position. But I got back up, and I said, you are in charge of the troops, okay? I'm in charge of the Freedom Riders. You give your vote instructions, I give mine, okay? And then I turned my back and continued. I said, the next thing is that First Baptist Church is where we're going to have our meeting tonight. So no matter what happens, find your way to First Baptist Church. Because they needed to know that. They didn't know. Sure enough, as we, get, as we went into the uh, uh, bus station on Saturday morning, and everything was just quiet and silent. We supposed to have had rides to meet us, cars, people there, to take us, okay? to lunch, because it was getting close to 12, and take us different places, you know, and uh, we were supposed to meet and with the people there and that kind of thing and get ready for the mass meeting that night. Well, um, when we arrived, there was only one cab, black cab, and uh, so when we started well, the, the, the National Guard got off the bus first. And the next thing happened is the bus driver jumped off the bus and took off. So the only people on the bus was the Freedom Riders. Okay? So as we uh, got off the bus, we happened to notice the reporters coming towards us, you know, to take pictures and stuff. 
A big mob came out instantly, well organized and well planned, and attacked the uh, reporters. They beat them to the ground, they kicked them. I, I was there, I saw this, it was a cameraman from New York, independent cameraman. He was the one that was on the ground with his camera all smashed. He'd been with us, you know, the whole time. We came out of Birmingham, so he'd been talking to us, we knew him. And they kicked him in the face and things like that. That was a, a, a life reporter. There were two of them together. One was uh, very tall. I learned later he was a football you know, player. And there was another short one, you know, and he had a camera around his neck. And the mob was coming after him. And the short one gave the camera to the tall one because he could run. <laughs> so he saved all of that. But I was just thinking about that, uh, you know, many years later, that this short guy, he could not outrun the mob, but he was able to save, okay? Yes. And, he, and we saw him get beaten up, okay? But he saved his, his work. And that's interesting about folks and their dedication to their, their work. I was very impressed with that, you know? <laughs> Well, we knew they were coming after us next, and they were trying to knock out the eyes of the camera so they could, you know, do what they wanted to do. So I came up with this bright idea. I said, somebody's got to live to tell this story. So I said, okay, all the girls. And it was okay to call them girls in those days, okay? <laughs> Get in the cab, because there was one cab there and a black cab driver. Get in the cab. I think there are about maybe, I don't know how many, uh, we could always get the number, but we, the girls went and started trying to get in the cab, both black and white. <coughs> and I think there are about maybe three white girls, and they were just, the cab would have been full, you know, everybody got in there. And uh, the cab driver jumped out shaking like a leaf. Now, he was okay with the mob being there, and his being black, he knew he was going to get beaten up. But he knew if he'd had those white girls in that cab, it wouldn't, he wouldn't have gotten beaten up. He would have gotten killed. <laughs> you know, he's from Alabama. You know, you know. Uh, so he jumped out shaking. I said, man, get back in that cab. See, sometimes if you're nonviolent, you got to be forced. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever it takes. But it didn't work. <laughs> And I said, okay, I came up with another bright idea. I said, okay, we'll take the, 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 the Negroes, girls, okay? Somebody has to survive, don't you understand? Okay? And it was Catherine Burke then, Catherine Brooks. Uh, she got married. Where is Catherine? She's here. She's got to be here somewhere. They don't have Catherine? Yeah. Where she's from. Well, she was from... Uh, Nashville, but, uh-oh, don't let her come down here and see this. <laughs> <laughs> We'll all be in trouble. <laughs> you blame it on me. <laughs> yeah, I'll see her. But this one was there, uh, that one, yeah. And I think Pauline was there, yeah. Well, anyway, um, she put her hands on her hip and she said, do you think that we are going to drive off in this cab and leave y'all here with the white girls and the black fellows and 
in the yeah. White Palace? She said, uh-uh. Oh, there's a mob beating people up, and we're in a crisis situation. I'm trying to save at least, you know, somebody, all right? So I didn't get anywhere with that. <laughs> <laughs> she was the one that told Bull Connor, you know, uh, I'll see you at high noon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the same one. Okay. <laughs> and she put her hands up. She was from Birmingham originally. So I said, okay, all right, we can't get anywhere here. So, you know, <laughs> this all joined hands and saying we shall overcome. So that's what we were doing when the mob attacked us, shattered us, and knocked us around. Jim's word, the white fella who you saw in the film, did not know until two years ago that they picked him up and they knocked him over the rail as you come into the, this bus station five times. See, the first time he was knocked unconscious, so he didn't know he was knocked over five times. And Jim, I mean, and John Lewis standing next to him, it was a Coca-Cola crate that they, they, they smashed his head. But it was a metal part of the Coca-Cola crate that put those gashes in his head, okay? Not just the wooden crate, you know, because sometimes, you know. Yeah, that's Jim's work, yeah. Actually, a wood Yeah. We've got another picture on the other side. Yeah. He was there. He's still alive. And uh, so they came after me. I was standing right there next to him. And they tried to kick me in I, uh, you know, certain part of my body. And I went down to protect myself, so the brogang shoes ended up hitting me in the chest. And uh, I had three cracked ribs during the whole course of the rest of the, of the uh, Freedom Rides. You know, Cause what can you do with cracked ribs? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And that's the first time, fellas, uh, younger fellas, you know, it's really true we have one less rib than women. You know, I heard that rumor, you know what I mean? But when I got my ribs cracked, I started counting. <laughs> Which ones could I give up, <laughs> you know? So anyway, uh, they came after me. Uh, this is right back here. I keep thinking this is somewhere else. <laughs> right in the back of the bus station. There was a deep drop off. Okay, uh, they had a rail, and then down across this rail, there was a deep drop off. In fact, cars were parked there. And then on the other side over there was the, uh, you know, behind the bus station was the post office. And uh, they were going to push me backwards over this rail, and I knew that would be it. So I had to decide whether I was going to continue the freedom rides, right? So I turned around, rather than allow them to push me over backwards, I turned around and jumped over. And Freddie Leonard and a couple of others who were following me, okay, they chose me as their leader, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to stick with him, okay. And we went over, and we were able to survive. And we went on the platform of the post office, because I wanted to see if they were going to come on federal property. So I was testing it, you see. But also, I was at a height, so I could see what was happening over there. So we all, uh, but then I saw a couple of things before I went over that rail. William Barbie, who was also a schoolmate, he was younger, and he used to call everybody good bra or good, si or good sister, you know, or whatever. And he, uh, 
was on the pavement, then they put the brogang shoe on his neck and forced a lead pipe down his ear. Okay. There was another man who was not involved in the Freedom Rides <coughs> walking along the sidewalk, and he had a cane. Older black man bent over, and they went over and grabbed the cane out of his hand and broke the cane across his head and smashed him. You know what I mean? Like that. But you know what? These women, these white women had babies in their arms. And they were shouting all kind of nasty things and stuff like that. Okay? I mean, that's the thing that really got me more than anything else. Imagine your mother having you in her arms and she's out there in the mob, you know? I mean, what kind of, you know, chance do you have of becoming, you know, a different kind of human being? Well, anyway, um, we managed to get into uh, the church that night. Uh, but before that, I went to the, uh, the hospital. The, somebody had to go to check on these people who were hospitalized. They had them in St. Jude. St. Jude was a hospital. It was basically uh, Catholic, and uh, they did uh, cater to black and white on different floors. Okay? So there was a white floor and black floor and whatever. They had warrants out for our arrest. So somebody had to take the risk of going to the hospital to check on them. So I meant that you would take a chance on getting arrested. So I said, well, okay, I'll take that. That's my job, you know, the risky type. So uh, I went on over and I saw, okay, um, Jim's word on one floor and um, uh, William Barbie on the other floor. They were in all kind of, uh, you know, um, braces and all kind of uh, props and everything, you know, and they're all bandaged up and everything. And I remember William Barbie said this. He said, good bro. I said, yeah. Uh, when are we going to Jackson? <laughs> so uh, in the book, my book, as well as in some other books, there's a meeting, okay, in a dentist home uh, not too far you know, away from here, Harrison's house. Yes, thank you. And we were having a meeting, and you see Martin Luther King, and you see some of the other students sitting around. I was chairing that meeting, and we were deciding about going to Jackson from here. Once I had heard uh, William Barbie ask, when are we going? How could he go to Jackson? And he's all bandaged up and his head broken and everything else. Okay, and Jim's word, the same thing. They were still ready to go to Jackson. So there is no question about whether we're going to Jackson. All right? Yeah. So we, of course, made the decision. And by the way, we didn't come back to the bus station to take the bus to go to Jackson. Did you know that? We caught the buses in front of uh, the Harrison's house. Is that something? But uh, the thing I skipped there was the mass meeting that night at uh, Abernathy's church. And uh, we, uh, <coughs> they started uh, throwing uh, bricks and things in the windows of the church. 
I guess what happened when they threw a brick through the back window of the bus in Anniston, Alabama, they were knocking a hole in the window so they can then throw a bomb. So what do you think when they started uh, throwing, breaking out windows? The next thing was going to be a bomb. So here we were, you know, caught in this church. And we didn't think about it then. We thought about it much later. That was one of the first. Uh, it, that church had been bombed before. That church already had an experience with bombing. It was an experienced church. <laughs> you know, doing the Montgomery bus boycott? Yeah. Uh, we sitting in a bombing a church that's familiar with bombing. Okay, and here they were turning over cars, and they were we were looking out the windows and cars upside down on fire and that kind of thing. Now, one of the things that I want to always say is that some people on the film, for example, when you see the Freedom Riots, gave the impression that Martin Luther King didn't go on the Freedom Riot because he was afraid. <coughs> More than one person said that. He didn't go on the Freedom Ride. And he said that, uh, well, Martin Luther King was on probation. A lot of other students were on probation. I want to get this straight. The reason he didn't go on the Freedom Ride because he was out on probation, but he was out on probation, okay, because he didn't change his license in Georgia, and they had him on the chain gang, okay, in Reedsville. Yeah. In fact, it was Kennedy who got him out of jail. As he was running for president, Senator Kennedy, John, okay? Yeah, John called Mrs. King when Dr. King was in jail. And because uh, I think uh, Warford is the one that uh, the historian guy who convinced Kennedy, said it might be a good idea if you call him, you know, I might help, you know, to show that you have some support for, you know, movement. So he did. He called Mrs. King, and at the end of the conversation, he said, uh, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. She said, could you get my husband out of jail? <laughs> she was expecting, you know, and he was in jail. So he had already said, if there's anything he could do, you know. So uh, Wofford uh, convinced him to call the, uh, you know, uh, the sheriff, uh, the judge, down in Reedsville. And... Uh, the judge came out, everybody, you know, the media was on top of it, and the media said, uh, you know, uh, uh, interviewed the judge. The judge says, nobody tell me how to run my jail, you know, back a chilling, you know, uh, country <coughs> judge, you know. Some fellow up there in Boston somewhere, you know, up north, <laughs> uh, tell me. And then a couple of days later, he uh, released Martin Luther King. But he was on probation. Had he gotten arrested in Jackson, Mississippi, on the Freedom Rides, or whatever, you know, because we risked arrest, he would have gone not to parchment, he'd gone back to Georgia, okay, and serve his term, which would have served no purpose at all. For Martin Luther King and his talent on this occasion, it would have been better for him to be the spokesperson to help recruit more Freedom Riders to make speeches, and since he had the media's attention, okay? That's why he didn't go on the Freedom Rides, all right? Yeah, and we didn't need him on the Freedom Rides. We were already <laughs> on the ride. We were taking it. We didn't need Martin Luther King, all right? What he did do that night, going back to the Freedom Rides, 
he was the one negotiating with uh, the Kennedys, okay, to give us some protection. We're right here in Montgomery, and there was an Air Force base right there. So they didn't have far to go, National Guard, all right? The most important thing happened, and there are certain instances that will determine the entire course of history, and this is one of them. Martin Luther King heard, and we got the rumor, that there were some black cab drivers at a service station organizing and getting guns together so they could come and rescue us. That, you know, they knew about that mob out there and all that kind of stuff, okay? And Martin Luther King heard that, he realized that that would be a total disaster. Because, and there were a lot of cab drivers, black cab drivers. You know why? There were 27 black cab companies in Montgomery, where we are now. Came out of the bus boycott. See, people didn't ride the bus for 381 days. So who, how did they get around, okay? <laughs> and the guy said, well, you know, I got one car, and I'm doing pretty good. I get another car and get me a driver. And, and so, that, yeah, the small companies, but 27. So they were gathering themselves together, and they come from Vietnam, and they'd been to the Korean War, and they were hunters, you know, the country out there, you know, shooting the eyes out of little squirrels running around. <laughs> well, if you shoot anything else, you tear the squirrel up. So how are you going to eat a squirrel that's torn up? You had to shoot the eyes out so the squirrel could run into a tree or something. Yeah, that's what everybody was yeah. So you had to be a good shot, to, you know, to do that. So there have been a whole lot of dead white folks, that's the point. All right, Martin King didn't want that happening, and a whole lot of dead black folks, that was not the solution. It would have changed the course of history. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have been a freedom ride. It would, it would have been a, a ride to the cemetery you know, you would have had uh, very much of an increase in funeral home business and graveyards on both sides, okay? Martin Luther King, I saw him with my own eyes. I was standing on the steps of the church. He stood up in the pulpit and he said, I had a very important mission, and I need a few people who are sure about their nonviolence. Not anybody who's shaky. So all the preachers didn't stand up. Okay. <laughs> Some of them were already armed, you know. <laughs> there was, uh, more than the Bible in that briefcase they were carrying. Okay. Yeah. He walked out with that small group of, of ministers through that howling mob. I was there. I saw it. And it, and it didn't dawn upon me until years later why the mob didn't attack them. They knew they were. They were two by two, and they marched. There's something about that marching. They were silent, but they were in formation, okay? And they marched just like they were in the military or something. That's straight on through that mob. You know, I often wonder, you know, what, was, what were they thinking about? You know, why didn't they? Well, see, they were not organized. Then we won. And so there was a sharp contrast between a disorganized mob and these ministers with their suits and ties on, you know? And obviously they knew there was mob and there was violence and they didn't seem to be afraid. So there must be something peculiar about them. 
okay, unusual behavior. Somebody walked through a mob. He walked through that mob, he reached the cab drivers and persuaded them to put down their weapons. And when I saw him walk through that mob, I said, he may have walked through the mob, but the question is, is he going to get back? You know, and I wasn't expecting him to come back, really. I thought that was it. Sure enough, okay, about a good hour later, he come walking back through the mob. Saves. Does that sound like somebody who's afraid to you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so people who say that he didn't, he was afraid or whatever. Now his house had already been bombed. Okay, and this was before you know the motels in in uh, Birmingham and all those places been mobbed. Okay, yeah. So here he was. <clears throat> the um, Conclusion was that we got on in cars. We got on. We, no, it was I was on uh, the back of a combat truck, military, and so we decided to divide ourselves up because we didn't want to get arrested, and we wanted to wait for things cool out that night, and then we we're going to regroup so we can continue the freedom rides. And so we just decided to just go home with the people, the community. I remember getting on the back of a truck and uh, driving off. And uh, I guess the lady had seen me in the mass meeting, okay, uh, up in the pulpit. And so she said, uh, ain't you one of them freedom riders? I said, yes, ma'am. Where are you going? I said, I'm going home with you. <laughs> 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 so she said, okay. <laughs> She stayed up all night looking out the window so I could get some sleep. And they, I, my only regret is I didn't get her name and address or whatever. But those are the kind of things that, that happen. And same thing with the other Freedom Riders. They went places, you know, till we regrouped. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up so we can get some questions in. And uh, I think uh, Donkey has some other direction you want to go in, like maybe a little bit about Selma. We... Um, decided that we were going to um, continue that freedom ride. And the thing that was so interesting is when we got beaten up in Montgomery, that's when our uh, leaders from Nashville, the ministers, the head of the uh, Nashville Christian Leadership Council, which is an affiliate of SCLC, our uh, Professors, can you imagine? <laughs> here you are getting beaten up down here, okay? And your professors come to join you. I mean, you know, like you couldn't get away from school. <laughs> you missed your final exam, you thought. <laughs> this was the final exam, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So here we were, and... Uh, I can tell you, I can't, I can't tell you how, what a great feeling that was when C.T. Vivian and, and uh, all the other ministers, uh, you know, joined in with us. They're on this row right here, okay? Yeah. Grady Donald, who I was trying to think of. Yeah, and this was a pastor, John Copeland. Okay. Yeah, I remember him very well. They all joined us. There's C.T. Vivian. 
Okay. Muhammad Ali's teacher. All right. So he didn't only preach, you know, he could march and act and go to jail. Thank you, my uh, a cellmate when I got to Jackson, Mississippi. You know, we stayed up all night talking. <laughs> Our birthdays are one day apart, and we both do a lot of that uh, alliteration, you know, and puns and stuff. I remember when they came to get us to take us to court, we were already, uh, you know, talking and doing those, uh, you know, puns back and forth. And, it, and we told the jailer, oh, wait just a minute, uh, he's doing a pun. <laughs> <laughs> and the jailer didn't know what that was, so he didn't want to be involved in that. <laughs> He said, I'll be back. He said, I'll be back. <laughs> Y'all threw fun in So, uh, <laughs> so uh, now, I was telling someone earlier that we went to four jails, the original group. We went to City Jail in Jackson. We went to the um, County Jail, okay, uh, in Hines County, and then we went for one night. We went over to uh, Raymond, Mississippi, and that's where C.T. Vivian was uh, beaten. He thought it was in uh, Parchman, okay, but it was actually in Raymond, Mississippi. What happened is when the when the jails got crowded in the cities, they shift us out to this uh, country jail. And these were real cowboys. They wore hats like I got. And they wear boots and stuff. They didn't have any, you know, uh, correctional officers, uh, you know, facilities, that kind of thing. So, uh, and we had to step off this little ladder, wooden made ladder. And they had shotguns at our head. I mean, if you stumble, hey, it'd been your head. So we had to really be very careful in getting off. We got in there, they started interviewing us and asking us where you're from. Well, Leroy Wright, where is that Wright fellow? Oh, uh, is that right? Well, uh, that's uh, sort of an error, uh, but they're going to get it straightened out. Uh, yeah, that's Clance Wright there. And I don't see Leroy Wright on here right now, but he could be somewhere. But anyway, Leroy uh, Wright, uh, they allowed him to go on the Freedom Rides only if he would stick with me. Because he was a fellow who, every time we had demonstrations in Nashville, that was uh, when he was there, there was, you could guarantee there'd be violence. And he didn't throw any punches or anything. It's the way he looked. That really incited, you know, people. And we observed that. So, you know, we didn't want that. But he begged and pleaded and promised he wasn't going to do anything and all that, you know. He said, well, if you go with Lafayette, you know, we'll you stick with him. We'll let you go. So he's, he was right with me all the way, okay? Okay, here we are in this jail in the rural areas of Mississippi. And the warden is going to have him some fun. So he brought us in individually. First he brought in a young lady from... Uh, from New Orleans, and uh, I'm sorry I can't, if I thought about it earlier, I would have picked her out. But anyway, she, uh, we heard them slap her, and we found out the reason they slapped her 
is because she wouldn't say yes, sir, or no, sir. So we decided nobody's going to say yes, sir, or no, sir. Mm -hmm. So right down the row, every time one get in there, they would uh, not say yes, sir, or no, sir, and they got beaten and slapped. and they got, That's when C.T. got injured in, in, in jail. It was a leather blackjack, you know, one of those small ones with the metal in it, you know, and it wrapped with leather wrapped around the metal, yeah. you know, called the blackjack. And they hit him because five deputies would be behind you and the warden would be in front. And you sit in front of the desk and they just knock you, kick the chair over and knock you down. Leroy Wright and I were in the last cell together. So we had experienced all the others, you know, coming in, walking back to their cells, bleeding, and that kind of thing, being beaten up. So here I am, mentor for uh, and, and Leroy said, Nobody's going to put their hands on me. <laughs> you know, the tall guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> so we said, look, Leroy, uh, don't, don't, don't call me. <laughs> you know, that's trying to get everybody killed, you know what I mean? No, you better not. I said, Leroy, and I'm his mentor, right? <laughs> Leroy went down there, sat down. He wouldn't sit straight in front of the warden. He turned his chair sideways, okay? Because he was ready. So they ask you a question like, uh, are you from Nashville? You're supposed to say yes, sir, or either no, sir. Okay, because they had the records there. And he said, yes, I'm uh, from Nashville. You better not put your hands on me. <laughs> and the, these guys, they've been beating folk all half a day. And they were tired, you know what I mean? <laughs> they say. Huh? I said, it's hard work being people. I know. Yeah. And they don't get any stimulus, you know what I mean, from the people because they're nonviolent, you know what I mean? It's hard. You can keep hitting with the same force and nothing to stimulate you, you know? Yeah. So, um, and uh, they said, you get out of here. So they sent him back to the cell and he come strolling down, you know. <laughs> Everybody can tell nobody hit him. He was the only one. I'm the last one they're going to interview. <clears throat> what am I going to do? Because, look, if I get beaten up, then that gives Leroy bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> so how am I going to get down here and not say yes, sir, and no, sir, okay, and come out of this situation without being beaten up like Leroy did, but using nonviolence? That was one of the most challenging moments for me because I had to, you know, stand up for nonviolence. You know, I had to show him that nonviolence was, you know, could work. <laughs> so I got in there and they said, uh, Are you from Nashville? I said, I'm not from Nashville. You ever went to, have, you, have you ever gone to the military? I've never gone to the military. And they paused after the, about the third question. They say, you get out of here. You get your so-and-so out of here. You smart, inward. Because they couldn't figure out what happened. Because I suppose to say, 
either yes or no, or yes, sir, or no, sir, and I answer the question without even... See, because they were already locked into this <laughs> expectation, okay? So I did something kind of different from what they expected, and they couldn't figure it out. So they shooed me on out of there, you know, and they were tired anyway after. <laughs> you know? So I, I did my stroll right now. <laughs> and Leroy looked at me, and uh, of course, the the guys who were close to the warden's office down there, they said, he didn't say yes, sir, no, sir. They, they were sure that I had to say yes, sir, no, sir. Now they said, no, he didn't. But what did he do? He said, he repeated what they said. <laughs> yeah, repeated what they said. Affirmative. Okay, so uh, one of the things I want to tell you about nonviolence, because see, I'm dependent on you guys to build that institute in Washington, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm talking about a global institute. So we can start bringing folks in, okay? As soon as y'all get set up, a regular thing, and courses that you're gonna bring people in, okay? All right, so you got a lot of folks over there. This is the, okay? Like I say, this is my dream. You know, Martin Luther King had his. That's why I'm gonna tell you this. Um, we had ice cream in jail. That's not in the film. It's not even in the Freedom Ride book. You know, Arsenal, my good friend. But, you know, yes, that first group of Freedom Riders that came from Nashville. We used to sing. Like I was looking at one of the songs I wrote on the uh, DVD. I mean, there, you know, here. The dog song. You heard that. All right. Um, and... Uh, the other one that freedom is a, uh, the buses are coming mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. yeah we sang that song that was the first day we got there let them know that we were not the only ones <laughs> we had ice cream in jail in the county jail Hines County Jail we were singing and uh, the night uh, warden uh, rather the uh, yeah warden for the people's for the jail, chief warden. And he um, would sit there and watch this uh, black and white television with the rabbit ears, but it was actually a coat hanger. You know, he had that. You know. <laughs> and uh, he'd send the trustee out to get ice cream. So that's what he would do at night. Everything was quiet. But we'd be singing. And we used to sing songs and put his name in the songs. And we referred to him always as Professor. We respected him, that he was in charge. And then we see him walk down the hallway, okay, of the cells, and he would slide, you know, very easy, well, you know, down the side. And he didn't know we could see him because there was uh, those uh, transits on the other side of the wall okay, the hallway, and we could see him, his reflection. And when we saw him, we made sure we put his name in there, and we said all kind of nice things, you know, and our song, you know, and he was the greatest. We called him professor and everything. And then he used to park himself, you know, on the side of the wall and listen to all those things, okay? 
that uh, he would think we'd be saying in his absence, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, how many of y'all saw that movie called, uh, what was that movie called? Yeah, the Black, The Help. Yeah, we didn't want any the help dessert. Because <laughs> 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 after all, they were in charge of the food. And you go around talking about black flowers, and you know, you hey, you get some help. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what you're eating. So the person you want to be kind to and very, uh, you know, solicit, you know, the folks are going to be handling your food and deciding what you're going to eat and stuff like that. That ain't no time unless you're fasting. You know, that's another thing. You can fast, hey. But you can't be going there acting fast with those people. <laughs> so here's the deal. He had a, a young uh, daughter who was in the 11th grade. No one in his family had ever gone to college. He wanted to see if he could get his daughter in college, but he didn't know how. What better way than to have a whole cell full, okay, of college students? Yeah. They're already in college, okay? They know how to get there, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so we start telling them about how to fill out, you know, and send for the forms and financial aid and all that kind of stuff, et cetera. And he would take that information home. So what do you think happened at night? He'd be set up to eat ice cream. He'd send the trustee out. The trustee is an inmate who you can trust to go out and trust to come back, okay? And there was, he would send it with his own money. He would send out and get ice cream. The trustee would put the ice cream, pints of ice cream, in little cardboard, you know, boxes, and put it in the uh, dry, you know, mop bucket, the roller, and then put the dry mop on top and roll all the way down to our cell, flip the mop off, and we'd stick our hands through the cell, okay? Eat the ice cream, okay, with the top, you know, we didn't have spoons, just tear off the top and eat, you know. And then we put the uh, uh, cardboard back in the uh, uh, mop bucket. <coughs> and every night, we said, inmates in Mississippi on the Freedom Ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? How anti-segregation can you talk about? Yeah. All right? Yeah. So my point is nonviolence has the power to transform. Now, the other thing he saw was that we were not sitting there doing time. We were not wasting time. We had our, what, classes going on. So if you're a biology major, that meant that, you know, you gave a lecture after breakfast, and then somebody else who was a, you know, math major gave, you know, after then at lunch. Now, what was really interesting was that one hour after we ate lunch, there was complete silence. Nobody said anything. And the purpose of that had two purposes. One is that uh, you let your food digest so the blood drains off your brain and helps with the, okay, digestive process. So you don't have as much blood on your brain <laughs> after lunch, okay? 
Then the other thing is you make uh, one hour of quietness every day helps you make an agenda for you to think about what you need to do and what you need to think about. So you have a meeting with yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's scheduled on your agenda, okay? That's what we did in jail for one hour. Guy brought us mail and started calling names out. We would not say anything. He said, I'm going to take this mail and throw it in the trash. So I eased over to the bars and said, bring it back in an hour. This is our quiet hour now. <laughs> I was throwing the trash. He came back and they learned to respect our discipline. Wow. And we had a sermon, you know, after uh, uh, supper, and then we, the clowns came on to tell jokes and stuff before we went. <laughs> and we sang, you know, all along through things. So anyway, um, that's uh, what I would say. Now, the, the final word uh, is that New Orleans was our destination. Why didn't we get out of jail in Jackson, Mississippi on bond and go on to New Orleans? Because that was a destination of the freedom rights. You learn this from the military. Even though I've never gone to the military, I've studied. I grew up in Tampa, Florida, Maxwell. Okay. You, what do you want to do in a combatant situation in this nonviolent uh, warfare? Is <laughs> to establish a beachhead. Okay, a place where you will be able to, okay, directly confront your opponents without retreat, okay? And that will be the final battle. That's where the battle is fought. Like, for example, all these movements we talk about, they're named after cities, mm -hmm. geographical areas. The problem was pervasive, but we found a beachhead for the boycott in Montgomery, for the movement in Birmingham, for the movement in Selma. They're all named after cities. Those were beachheads. The problem was much larger than that particular place. So here we found in Jackson, Mississippi, for the Freedom Rides, a beachhead. Had we gone to New Orleans, okay? They did that, remember, on the Freedom Rides? They took airplanes, and that was the end of that. No, no, we established a beachhead, and the reason we stayed in jail is because you could stay in jail up to 40 days, okay, without making bond. If you didn't make bond after 40 days, then you got, you had to serve out all your term. Okay? All right? So therefore, it's called an appeal bond. So what we did was use that time to make this a beachhead so other people get mobilized and they know exactly what to do. Had we gone to New Orleans, that that we were the only ones that been on the Freedom Rides. So we got 400 and some people as a result of establishing that. That's part of strategy. And that's also what I mean by drawing from many different sources. And one of our main sources for doing nonviolent battles is from the military. It's called using love as your weapon. And so, therefore, rather than uh, defeating your enemy, you win your enemy and then increase your forces. So rather than destroying, we increase our forces in nonviolence.